Scripture today comes from John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. You may want to turn there. I'm going to get to the text in just a few moments. Whenever we read the Bible, we need to understand that we're reading a longer story or a letter. And, and this is particularly important in the Gospels because the Gospels are making longer arguments about who Jesus is. They're not just simply writing biographies. Otherwise, we would probably have one biography of Jesus. But they are each having their own arguments, their own discussions, their own sort of trajectory that they're taking the reader on about who Jesus is. And so whenever we read in the Gospels, you especially have to know sort of where you are. And if this is the inspired word of God, as we say in our tradition, then we ought to take seriously the way the authors were inspired to write. If they made a larger argument, we need to be able to follow that. Today we're in the Gospel of John, and John is probably, uh, of all the biblical authors, one of the most organized and most creative in his writing. He writes with a lot of metaphor. He will eventually, after writing the Gospel of John, write the book of Revelation, which is all metaphor and all imagery and poetry. Um, But in the Gospel of John, John marks seven signs, seven miraculous works, and he even calls them signs in the Gospel. Seven times that Jesus does something miraculous that shows something about who Jesus is. Around those seven uh, um, signs are seven discourses, seven discussions with different people or with the crowds where Jesus is helping to explain who he is. And there are seven I am sayings. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, so on and so forth. Some of these are really corresponding with between the sign and the discourse and the I am saying. For instance, in um, John chapter 9, Jesus talks in his discourse about how I am the light of the world. And then he gives healing to a blind man, gives sight to a blind man. So I am the light of the world. And here's a person who's lived in total darkness. And I'm going to give them light so they can see. Now, why this long intro? Because in John chapter 6, where we're going today, it's like that. There is a long discussion going on in John chapter 6. And your homework for this week, your homework, you got to do this, is to read the whole of John chapter 6 so you can get a whole understanding of how the chapter runs. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because that would be the whole sermon. But i got to catch you up to where we are in verse 25. The sign is... uh, where this group of people are following Jesus primarily because he's doing all these miracles. He's healing all these people and he's gathering these crowds around him. There are some, at least 5,000 people sort of gathered around him and and, uh, he says to his disciples, how are we going to feed all these people? And they look around on this hillside and all these people and think, no, we can't do that. And Peter, who I think is like the clerk of session in the Gospels, right? He's always counting uh, Philip, who's always counting, they're saying, eh, Jesus, this isn't happening. We can't even feed like a part of these. So what does he do? He takes a lunch, five loaves and two fish that this boy has packed for the day. And he gives food out of that as they start to pass out to all of these people. And then in the end, they gather up 12 baskets of bread back to, the, to where uh, Jesus was. The people are excited. And they're excited because in those days, they were seriously, seriously taxed. The estimates are more than 50% of their income may have been taxes at this point. Okay, so you think you have it bad. It was really bad then. This is part of how the Roman Empire 
kept people down and kept people from rebelling against them. They just major, major taxed them and then the people never had money to buy weapons or to hire an army or to have horses and chariots. So the Roman Empire could just always keep people down if it kept them kind of poor. And so all these people are struggling and they see Jesus doing all these signs and then he feeds them and then they decide they're going to make him king. Let's just make him king right now. If he can just feed all of us, man, that would be, that'd be great, right? No more cooking, no more struggling. Let's make Jesus king. But Jesus knows this and so he, he, he gets away from the crowds. He leaves the crowds. His disciples then get in boats and start heading over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now they're fishermen. They know these seas well. Uh, probably it's one of their boats. But Jesus is not with them. But later in the evening, while it's night, he starts walking out on the water to go see where they are. And he catches up to them, freaks them out, right? Because Jesus should not be walking on the water. He goes over to them, gets in the boat, and they are suddenly on the other side. So it's a very, very fast trip. They got halfway, got stuck in a storm and a wind and seas. And then all of a sudden, they're on the other side. Now, when the people look around and see that Jesus is gone in the morning, they start to go around the Sea of Galilee to go over because they know at least his disciples they saw go in the boat over there. But Jesus is already over there. And they start saying, Jesus, how did you get over here so fast? Well, I walked, but I just took the straight line and you guys had to go around the sea, right? So that is the, that's the context. We've got this, this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has walked on water to get to the other side. And now we pick up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let's pause there. Great question. Jesus Rabbi, where did you come from? <laughs> what they mean is, how in the world did you get from on the other side of the sea to on this side of the sea? But, but it's, it's ultimately the question. See, John's giving you a double meaning here. The, the people are trying to decide also, where did this guy who can do all these miracles come from? And Jesus is start trying to subtly make the argument to these people where, what, where I came from was from heaven with the Father. He answers the question in a much bigger way. And why are they seeking him? Well, Jesus calls them out. It's not because of signs. It's not because you believe in me. It's because you've got your fill of the food, right? You got, you got, you're not hungry anymore. That's why you're following me. There's a term that missionaries gave to Christians over in China, and in other parts of Asia, but especially China, that were called rice Christians. And these were Christians who were poor, and when missionaries would come, they would often try to give out rice to the community. So there would be all these Christians that would say, okay, I'll become a Christian, let me have the rice. And then they would be part of the church so that they could eat the food. And then suddenly, if something changed in their life, like they got a new job, they were able to move to a wealthier area, they inherited some money, then they left the church. Why? Because they didn't need rice anymore. 
Some missionaries called these rice Christians. These are Christians that, that don't actually believe in Jesus, that don't actually care about the gospel, but just want what they can get from God and what they can get from the church in the moment. And I'm fearful that as I look around the Christian church today, that we still have a lot of rice Christians. We still have a lot of Christians that follow Jesus primarily because uh, they want something from him. As if God is this vending machine, right? <clears throat> Lord, I've been good, so help my marriage. Lord, I've been good, so give me a better job. Lord, I'd really like a better interest rate than this. Amen. Right? And we're after our rice. Lord, give me this. Give me this. Give me this. And we don't really love Jesus. We're not really following after what God's commanded. We followed after what we want. And we see God as the source of what we want. We are this crowd, you understand. So Jesus continues. Oh, so, so they, they said to him, sorry. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Pause. They asked for a sign. Apparently, feeding 5,000 with one kid's lunch is not enough for these people, right? Lord, give us a sign. Maybe, I don't know, some more bread? I'd be fine. Some cakes would be great, right? What are they asking? And here we are. They ask, it, they ask him, how did you get over here so fast? How did you get here? What was there? He walked on the water. How many signs do these people need? They just didn't follow through on the question enough. How many signs do they need? What kind of proof do they need? How could they ask for a sign? But how often do we, when God has given us so much, and yet when he doesn't give us exactly what we want or how we would understand it, we have the same kind of, Lord, prove it. Prove that you love me. Well, look, sometimes bad stuff happens, but you've got to realize how much good stuff God does for you too. They make reference to Moses. And Moses, when he was leading the people through the desert for 40 years, which means he just didn't stop to ask for directions. I don't know. It's about a two-week walk. They took 40 years wandering to try to change this people. And how did God feed them? He gave them manna every morning. Manna in Hebrew, does anybody know what it means? It literally is a question saying, what is it? So somebody walked out that morning of the first day of manna, and there was this little seed stuff that they could bake into bread, and they said, hey, what is it? And somebody else said, yeah, let's call it that. And that's what it was, manna, what is it? It's this bread that they lived on every day, and they got tired of the bread, so much so that at one point they complained to God, and he gives them quail. And when God gives you quail, he gives you quail out your ears, apparently, because they got sick of quail then. They have, they have this bread every day. And so they make reference to this. This crowd does and says, Jesus, let's, why don't we have some manna? Why don't we have some manna? Forgetting the rest of the story where the people got sick of manna, right? Lord, give us food every day so we don't have to work anymore. So we don't have to make bread anymore. But, but Jesus reinterprets their understanding. He said, first of all, you better understand that Moses didn't give you bread. 
Moses didn't do the bread thing. It was God that sent down the bread. So you need to make sure when you say he gave us bread and quote from the Old Testament that uh, you're getting the right he there. Then he goes on further. In verse 32, let me read it again. So these are Jesus' words. Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Did everybody see the, hear the tense change there? Okay. If, I, if you're in third grade and you write this on a paper, you get failed because you can't change tenses in the middle of a sentence. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. Okay. It was not Moses who gave you bread, but my Father who gives you bread. You messed this up. You messed this up, crowd. You think that Moses gave you bread, but I'm telling you, my Father is giving you bread. Right now, as we sit here, He's giving you bread. And what does He mean? He doesn't just mean bread. He's using the bread as a symbol to say, I am that bread. So they say, sir, give me that bread always. Imagine never having to cook again. Imagine never going to the grocery store. It's tempting, isn't it? Never having to worry about stuff. Imagine being so wealthy, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. Don't we all sort of secretly, like we, we wouldn't want to voice it because it would sound selfish, but secretly we'd like, I could deal with it. Like, people always say, oh, the wealthy, they, they have so many struggles. But I'd like to have their struggles, right? Anybody else? Just for a day, let me just not have to do anything. Pay somebody else to do stuff I don't want to do. Deep down, it's kind of tempting for us, right? Give me this kind of bread. Don't make me have to cook again. Don't make me have to clean again. Don't make me have to work again. But that's not what Jesus is offering. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. That's a reference to the manna, right? I'm like the manna that came down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am this thing come down from God, given from God. You didn't understand that claim. I was sent from heaven by my Father. To be the bread that gives you life and sustains you. Come to me. Listen to me. In a phrase that we would not typically think of in the Bible, he's saying, eat me. Consume me. The metaphor is take me. Take me into yourself. Make me a part of who you are. Find nourishment in me. In the other Gospels, this <coughs> passage has an even stronger connection to communion. If you go back and read the feeding of the 5,000, the way Jesus lifts the bread, gives thanks, and blessed it is communion language. That when he passes the bread and the fish, it's supposed to be communion. John makes the connection, if you go back and read in chapter 6 and do your homework, that it's also Passover. 
And we remember that at Passover, that's when Jesus did lift the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. Jesus is making, John is making a clear connection with communion. So let me read a couple other verses. I'm going to skip around a little bit here. But the crowd responds, and they do not like this news. How are you going to eat a person? You can't eat a person. So the Jews, verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I came down from heaven? So the first thing they're upset about, he said he came from heaven. He said he came from, how could that guy come from heaven? I know his parents. I remember when he was a kid running around playing in the neighborhood. He didn't come from heaven, he came from Mary, right? So that's the first complaint. But Jesus responds, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, now they're really upset. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. (laughs) Jesus, this is the point where you can back off the language just a little bit. You know what I mean? I feel like Jesus, you're just making this worse. You just keep pushing this further and further. Yep, I'm from heaven. Yep, I'm the bread. Better eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you'll have no life. He just keeps leaning into what's bothering the crowd. Jesus, do you not play the crowd at all? Then the disciples respond. Now, this is really important. Jesus has lots of disciples. He has 12 main ones, but he has all kinds of other disciples that are also following him. Sometimes they're numbered at different parts of the Bible. But in in verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They can't take this news. Jesus, what are you talking about? So let's reflect for a minute. First of all, why doesn't Jesus plainly give an answer? Why doesn't he clarify? Why doesn't he give a better description? Why does he always speak in metaphor? And the answer is, I don't know, but he seems to always, he seems to always, if I read the Bible, every time Jesus needs to clarify something, it gets fuzzier, not clearer. I think it's because Jesus doesn't want us just to rely on answers. He wants us to rely on him. And so, a little sidebar, in your life, when you're seeking answers from Jesus and it gets more confusing, don't think that Jesus isn't answering you, because that's exactly how he answers in the gospel. Because Jesus doesn't give you news. He doesn't give you answers. He gives you himself. And that's the point of the dialogue. That Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He doesn't give us what we need. What he constantly gives us is himself. What God constantly gives in the Bible is himself. A relationship with me. See, that's not what we want. We want a job. We want food. We want riches. We want savings. We want right relationships. We want, we want, we want. And Jesus offers us not what we want. And yet this is probably the most difficult and yet the most beautiful part of the gospel. Because what we really need is Jesus. 
See, you think, oh, if I just had all this money, I would be happy. And Jesus keeps saying, no, no, no. What you really need is more of me. Oh, I want this, I want this. I want... But, but Jesus says, no, 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 those things, those will never satisfy. When you get a new car, you're going to want another one. When you get a bigger house, you're going to want a bigger house. When you get more salary, you're going to want more salary than that salary. It's never ending. And Jesus says, why don't you just lean into me and let me satisfy let me be enough. And maybe you won't need all those other things because you're relying on me. You're depending on me. You're being sustained by me. Jesus is giving more life than we can possibly understand. We don't even know that we need it, so we don't tend to want it, but it's exactly what we need. Just plain more of Jesus. And that is why the symbolism of communion is so beautiful. Because monthly we, we sit down, we come to the table, we recognize what Christ has already done for us. And it's meant to sustain us. Not that a little piece of bread is going to sustain us for the rest of our lives. But that our souls are sustained by what Christ has already done. And by the continuing, we call it communion because we commune with each other and we commune with God at this table. That means we're being fed, constantly fed in our spirits with the presence of God. And communion is that time where we should remember, that's enough. I don't need all this other stuff. I don't need to beat myself up about sins that I've committed. I don't need to beat myself up about good things I should have done and I didn't. Because Christ is enough. There is life at this table. So as we go to communion... Um, Think about those things. Remember that you consume and that you are sustained by the bread of life. And that though your, your brain tells you something different, it really is enough. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the bread of life, that you offer yourself to us even when we don't deserve it. Sustain us for the life you have called us by your Spirit. Amen.